Welcome to episode 13 of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs, to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS IO. And I'm here today with the founder of IC Alert and now CEO of Cypherglass, Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us for yet again another episode of Everything EOS. Uh, we do appreciate the feedback and comments that we get about the show, and we hope you continue to share your thoughts and opinions so that we can continue to grow and improve. Uh, if you enjoyed this week's episode, please let us know by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever else you may be listening. On today's podcast, we will be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOSIO, including the ongoing RAM market controversies, voting, the latest airdrops, and more. And I'm super excited to talk about all this, but before we get started, I do have to mention that this podcast is not sponsored. We're not being paid to record it. We're just two people that are super excited about the EOS project. And before we get started, another disclaimer, both Zach Gall and I do hold EOS tokens, but this podcast should not be construed as legal, financial, tax, professional, or any other kind of advice. All right, so the big, big controversy, big talk in, in all the channels, which have kind of been a little bit dead lately with the, <laughs> with the market. Uh, a lot of people are quiet now, the market's quiet. Uh, but the, the talk of this RAM, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's kind of been a pretty big issue with, mm -hmm. with the EOS uh, community as a whole. You want to kind of give your take on it? Yeah, I think first to explain what RAM is and why you need it. Um, so RAM is one of the three resources on the EOS network. So you have CPU, computational power, uh, bandwidth, like the ability to send transactions, and then you have RAM. And RAM is something that if you're just an average EOS user, you'll never really need to buy or use in any way. But it's mainly for DAP developers to store information on the chain. So this could be storing your token balance. It could be storing um, you know, something from a video game. It's just storage on the network right now. And the problem that's happening right now is that there's a very limited amount of RAM on the total EOS network, about 64 gigabytes across all of the different block producers. And that's artificially limited at this moment um, so that we can scale up in the future. But the current situation is basically that speculators, because you can buy and sell RAM through Bancor's RAM buying and selling algorithm, speculators bought up basically all of the RAM mm -hmm. and sent the price to, to just an astronomical high, I believe it did a 20x over the course of like a week or two, um, and now has since crashed back down to, I think, 8x from where it originally started. But it's still very, very expensive to even get enough RAM to open up a new EOS account. I think it peaked at, uh, I can't remember, 0.92 EOS yeah. for a kilobyte of RAM. For a kilobyte. And, and you mentioned the average user wouldn't really need RAM, and that's most likely the case, but... I believe, every, doesn't every account need a, a certain amount, like one or two kilobytes? I believe it's four kilobytes that an account needs to actually be created and then store your token balances and sort of initialize itself on the network. Mm -hmm. And everybody, if you were in the Genesis snapshot, you were given that for free, essentially, um, when the chain launched. But if you want to make a new account, you have to buy that additional RAM to do so. So that's kind of one of the issues. So the the problem is that the the price is very high for ram so so the cost of doing business uh increased dramatically from what people were expecting everyone uh, developers in particular expected EOS to be this very cheap, fee-less, zero transaction fee uh, platform that everyone would want to build on. But this RAM is kind of holding uh, things back. Uh, for example, I'm not sure if it changed recently, but um, whenever the network launched, the cost to do an airdrop would have been in the very, very low thousands, maybe even in the hundreds. But it, it's currently a, about a $15,000 cost to airdrop tokens to, to uh, a snapshot of the entire yeah. network. 
Um, and to create a brand new account is around $15. So you're, you're asking people to create a wallet account to, to contribute $15. So yeah. that's something new. I, I don't think that's, that's terrible if, if it stayed like that because of the value you get from that account, because it, it would be global. Like eventually you'd use that account across many different websites that you use. Um, it'd be kind of like your, your universal login, kind of yeah. like a Google login is currently or your Facebook login. That's what I, I see this being. Um, and if you look at, if, if you've used scatter wallet, it, it doesn't really have a lot of wallet features. I, I don't like how you can't see your account balance, but it does have some unique features where you, you can give it your address, your full name. And I really think in the future that your, your universal EOS account is going to be a universal login for like the next generation of Web 3.0. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, basically, once you get an EOS account, you then have free transaction fees or free transactions forever. You can send as many transactions as you like up to a certain amount um, every day. But beyond that, also, to your point, if say one big new dApp comes out and they're giving out user accounts for free, that person doesn't need to go to the next app and set up a new account. They can just use mm -hmm. that same EOS account across every single dApp they'll ever use. You just mentioned free accounts. So I just read this morning on Cointelegraph, uh, there's a universal wallet. I don't know anything about this. I'm not um, saying to, to use this because I don't know if they're legit or not, but Infinito Wallet uh, put out uh, an announcement that they have a universal wallet that's going, it, it already does support the EOS uh, uh, network along with other tokens, uh, but they're allow they're offering free account creation for new EOS token holders uh, through their app. And it's on a first come first serve basis. They probably have this budgeted, but if, if you weren't part of the a part of the Genesis snapshot, like Rob mentioned, and you didn't get a free account, it's kind of confusing right now because you need an account to create an account. Yeah. <laughs> you need, I think like what, two EOS to create an account. Yeah, I believe it's about two EOS worth of Ram. So if, if someone who had tokens on an exchange and wanted to get them off of an exchange for them to create a new wallet, they would have to kind of know someone else with EOS to create a wallet for them. It, it's, it's really messed up right now. Yeah. Um, we still are in the early stages of this chain. Like it's, it's been less than two months. It's been yeah, barely it's been one month, one month. I think yeah. today actually now a couple days from now on the 14th will be the official one month anniversary of the chain unlocking. Um, we were live on the podcast when it unlocked. Yeah. Uh, June awesome. 14th was pretty crazy. So this is obviously an issue. Do you, do you have any ideas of solutions to this? Or? Yeah. So there have been a lot of different solutions proposed. Some people, and there, there are a couple that I really like, and I kind of want to go over those. Um, so one that I've seen proposed is basically eliminating profit from RAM. So in the same way that right now, if I stake 10 EOS for CPU and bandwidth on my account so that I can send transactions, when I unstake that CPU and bandwidth, I get back the full 10 EOS. I don't get less or more depending on how many other people are staking. And I think a similar model for RAM could potentially solve that, where if I stake two EOS to create my account for RAM, and then I want to unstake that later, I would get back that exact two EOS by releasing that RAM. So the, the price would effectively, it's not that it would remain fixed, but the the ability to profit or lose money from buying and selling RAM would basically be eliminated through that smart contract. So I, I'm pretty sure that was how everyone expect the original intention. The Bancor protocol stuff wasn't really added in, until the last month or two before yeah. launch. I think in May it was actually officially announced that they were adding it. So I, I don't think anyone expected this level of speculation. I, I think people expected the price to increase, mm -hmm. but not to this level. Um, and that kind of brings me 
to block producers role in the ram market there have been some block producers who and it's transparent on the blockchain you see all their transactions who have participated in this speculation and profited yeah what, what are your thoughts on that has cypherglass done anything like that we haven't bought or sold any ram um it's something that i don't think block producers should really engage in unless they have a legitimate reason to do it like the, the thing about being a block producer as an active block producer, you control the amount of RAM that gets added to the ecosystem. You'll know when an upgrade is happening. You'll know when a potential downgrade is happening or an upgrade gets canceled. And to have that sort of insider information is something that I don't think uh, BP should use to profit. You mentioned on the last episode, um, the are the calls weekly with the BPs? Yeah, now or? I think they're twice weekly. Um, and there's been some talk about moving it back to once weekly or doing other individual and they're, calls. And they're streamed and logged. So is there really an advantage to a block producer uh, having information that your average token holder wouldn't have if they could participate in the calls silently, just, just the same? And Poten potentially now, I think the potential for that is decreasing. Um, but I still think now a lot of these RAM discussions are happening in private of like, hey, when should we upgrade RAM? What's the solution for RAM? So at this point, I would say it's probably not okay for BPs to speculate on it. But I think in the future, to your point, as this becomes more and more transparent, everybody will have sort of the same information. My, my thoughts are I don't want to punish anyone who did speculate at this point because, one, when the network first launched, it was probably a good idea to buy RAM because you knew it was going to go up. Right. But like what what's going up, like 20 percent, 50 percent double. And I, I think that was expected from everyone. So I, I've read about some different BPs. I'm not even going to mention them on here that profited like six hundred thousand uh, dollars. But part of the reason was because they intended to do an airdrop. Well, so exactly. they needed the RAM anyway. Well, and that's the thing. It's really impossible to prove whether a block producer is speculating on RAM or buying it for some other purpose. They could have a, a major DAP plan that they need to you know, do airdrops. They could be buying a bunch of RAM up front to give people free user accounts. So ultimately, it's something that I don't think can really be enforced. It's just something that I would encourage people to, to continue to monitor and look out for. And the, the BP I'm talking about, I don't blame them. So they, they bought the RAM early. They wanted to do an airdrop with it. And then it went way up. And they knew it hit an insane price. And they knew that that price wouldn't last. So they sold half the RAM that they planned to use at, at, a, at a very high price point. They made $600,000 profit. But could you really blame them for that? It, right. Like, did they have any advantage for holding that RAM? They're just maintaining that speculative, insane, inflated price if they held it. Oh, 100%. Well, and, and those block producers didn't... There was no insider information in no. those trades because we hadn't even been planning RAM upgrades at that and point. And nobody could have expected what happened. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't think anybody should be punished or there should be some kind of repercussion for this. I think it's just something to, to keep in mind so that when RAM is upgraded and when these proposals are put into place, that people just keep an eye on it and make sure nothing fishy is happening. So, who, who decided on the 64 gigabytes and... What are some of the proposed solutions? So if, if your solution doesn't work, and yeah. I, I guess playing devil's advocate on your solution is it's really hard to change something once it's already in motion because what do you do for the people who bought RAM at its peak and are 50% are down right now and then you're going to just change the game on them and say, well, there's no chance of it ever going back up because right. we changed the rules. Right, exactly. I mean, that's that's something that definitely needs to be considered. I think the, the other solution that I've seen that's interesting is what I like to, like to call decommoditizing RAM. So right now, RAM is basically a commodity where if you want to buy RAM and sort of secure RAM on the EOS network for the future, whether you're doing an airdrop or just speculating, you first buy EOS on, a, on an exchange, you buy the RAM, you basically sell your EOS for the RAM. And then what's happening is that people are profiting 
massive amounts in RAM, selling that EOS or selling the RAM back into EOS and then dumping their EOS on exchanges. So what's happening with this is that the EOS price is actually being hurt because of RAM speculation, where if you decommoditize RAM and you basically give um, people their allocated percentage of RAM based on the amount of tokens they hold. So if you hold 1% of the tokens, you get 1% of the RAM. Mm -hmm. I think something like that or some kind of hybrid solution would actually then see a lot of the... Uh, the RAM price increase actually funnel into the EOS token price, and everybody in the network would benefit overall. Because if you have to buy EOS to then get that RAM, it's a much different situation mm -hmm. than we're seeing right now. Uh, so there's a lot of things Dan's kind of commented on. Dan Larimer, the CTO of Block One, who built EOSIO, for those not informed. Um, I, I've mentioned him a, a few ideas of his. I'll, I'll get into one of them a, a bit later on the podcast, but one that I read I don't know, maybe a week or two ago, whenever speculation was even higher, uh, he mentioned how one of his ideas is to create a capital gains tax on chain for RAM profits. Hmm. So if you profit on RAM, you pay tax on that profit, and that tax goes back into the community ecosystem. Yeah, I'm personally not a fan of this idea, just because I think taxation <laughs> is theft, and there shouldn't be a tax on anything on EOS. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's it's his idea. Yeah. He, he's not, he doesn't, make the rules himself. Everything needs 100%. to be voted in. And it was just mentioned in Telegram, but I, I thought that was interesting of creating... It, it kind of slowed down speculation. I, I don't mm -hmm. know how, to what degree, well, but... Beyond this, I think these are all like solutions that are being proposed to actually change the way RAM works. And to your point, if somebody is already in sort of the EOS Bancore algorithm RAM game, mm -hmm. they could be hurt by this by changing it. But what's interesting is that there are actually other software solutions that are coming out in the near future, like before the end of the year, that will also dramatically increase the supply of RAM, but not on the main chain. Yeah. So, so side chains. Yeah. That that was the big thing when when Block One introduced the the Bancore RAM protocol. They mentioned how, one, the price could fluctuate random, like at, at crazy volatility, which everyone knew about getting into this. Right. Uh, so they mentioned that, but they also mentioned that side chains are going to have their own RAM allotments. So if the main chain RAM is one EOS per kilobyte, which it almost hit already, then a side chain might be selling it for a, a dollar, a dollar less per kilobyte. Um, but I, I don't understand to this point because there hasn't been a side chain right. how that actually works and it, it's in interoperability with the main chain and if your DAP could be on the main chain while your RAM's on a side chain, like I don't understand any of that yet. Yeah, so I'll try to add some color there. So if you think of a side chain is basically just like uh, a branch off of a tree. So if the side chain is like the core trunk of a tree, all of the, or sorry, if the main chain is the core trunk of a tree, all of these side chains are kind of branches that connect back to the main tree. So the way that this all works is through a software solution called inter-blockchain communication. And Dan has said they have a plan for building this. They've already started development on it. And it should be out by the end of this year. Um, and then the solution would actually be viable. But basically how it works is that you could airdrop your token on the main chain. That's where everybody will still do their airdrops. That's where all of that sort of value creation will happen. And then you can just run your actual dApp if it doesn't need to be on the main chain. If you're okay with that three-second delay of going from a sidechain back to the main chain, you could sort of isolate your dApp in the sidechain, but still connect it to the main chain and use your own pool of RAM. So to give you an idea, Everipedia, for example, could launch on their own sidechain, run all of their account functions, run um, you know upgrades and votes and user proposals through that sidechain, but then the token would live sort of as a hybrid between the main chain and the sidechain, and you could transfer it back and forth at any moment. And from a user's perspective, they wouldn't even really know they're using a sidechain. It would just feel like one big combined main chain. But from a block-producing standpoint, so 
Who would produce blocks on the side chain? The block producers have to basically accept each side chain in order for them to, to process those transactions. So a block producer would then be producing transactions on the main chain and on each of these side chains. And like 64 gigabytes of RAM, I, I had that 10 years ago. Yeah. So I, all, all of the hardware capabilities are well, stru they're structured beyond that. Right. So if you have 64 gigabytes of RAM on the main chain, you have plenty of spare hardware to be running side chains at this point. Oh, absolutely. So I mean, there's no like hardware limitation here to be running multiple pieces of software. Oh, absolutely not. And I think a lot of these people, if you think about different incentives for running side chains, if a side chain like Everipedia or a decentralized Facebook or whatever that dApp may be, by running that side chain that may even host multiple dApps, you're effectively adding value to the EOS network, which in theory will increase the EOS token price. And since block producers get paid in EOS tokens, they're incentivized to do whatever they can, like run side chains, in order to benefit that token price and then make more money. And then as they make more money, they can reinvest more money into hosting more side chains. And it's kind of this feedback loop again of block producers supporting more and more side chains. But the cool part is that from the user's perspective, they, they should really never know, hey, I'm on a side chain or hey, I'm on a main chain, since a side chain does not add more EOS tokens. The side chain is just sort of extra capacity and extra RAM allotment, but no additional EOS tokens. There's still only 1 billion across the main chain and all the combined side chains. Well, there's more than 1 billion now. Slightly. Well, theoretically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, technically not, because the amount of RAM trading, the fee, the one percent fee from RAM trading, oh. has been so great that the current inflation rate of EOS, I believe, is negative two percent. So there's actually less than a billion tokens now in existence. Yeah, so I have, I have the the RAM chart in front of me. And yesterday, for example, there was a total of seven hundred eighty-two thousand dollars in USD traded on the RAM market in one day. Yeah, 24 hours. Wow. So sometimes whenever you make this volume calculation, and I, I've read this about crypto exchanges, is sometimes if there's a buyer and a seller, if I sold you, Rob, one Bitcoin, mm -hmm. they would count that as two Bitcoins of exchange volume. Interesting. And some of them count it as one because it's a swap. Huh. So I don't, I don't know if this number, which one it is, but even if you cut that number in half times 1%, mm -hmm. that's a significant amount of EOS that, that, that's kind of being set aside or potentially in the future burned. Well, and right now that is effectively, because it's taking that EOS out of the total supply and out of mm -hmm. circulation, it's effectively offsetting more than block producers getting paid every day, which mm -hmm. is how we get that negative inflation or deflation, which is pretty cool. Interesting. So the, the RAM is something I think that if you think about EOS in its current state, even though this is technically EOS 1.0, I think we're going to look back on a significant portion of this year and say, okay, that was kind of the beta phase of EOS. And that's how I'm looking at it. And if you think about it, we're still on the single-threaded implementation, which is like a single-lane road that can only process so many transactions. But once multi-threading comes out later this year, then we're all of a sudden a multi-lane superhighway and can increase transactions. And then you add on side chains for more transactions and more RAM pools. And I think as the platform kind of matures and adds on these more advanced features, we're going to really see the real EOS come to life and see a lot of these problems be solved that right now people are still scratching their heads over. Yeah, I, I think expectations were set very, very high. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe that's even our fault. Like, because we, we know the long-term potential, and sometimes right. when we discuss what is going to happen, even we want it to happen tomorrow, right. today. But realistically, it's going to be a very long roadmap. Oh, definitely. And I mean, if you think about Block One's commitment to EOS in general, their 100 million tokens out of the billion total, they vest at 
10 million tokens every year for 10 years. And Block mm -hmm. One has publicly said multiple times, hey, we have a 10-year commitment to EOSIO and this platform. So if you think about all of the improvements, not just this year with multi-threading and sidechains, but over the next 10 years, all of the features and improvements that they'll be able to add, I mean, the EOS that we see even a year from now or six months from now is going to be dramatically different than the EOS that we see today. So speaking of Block One and the, their their contributions to the community and their piece of the community because they are token holders yeah. also. Uh, they, they, their tokens are treated no differently than anyone else's except they have a lot more of them, right. obviously. Um, and a lot of people cut them out of airdrops, which has been interesting to see. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think a single token has actually airdropped to block one, which has been very interesting. It'll be interesting to see if Everpedia airdrops to them or not since they were funded through mm -hmm. ESVC. So we, we've talked about ESVC. That's what I was getting to. Is yeah. There's a billion dollars out there. How, how much has been committed at this point? Uh, $750 million. $750 million has been committed. Uh, there's only been two announced projects. The I, I forget the one we talked about last time the second life 2.0 type thing. oh um yeah the, the virtual reality one i forget the name of it but yeah. yeah and then everpedia those are the only two officially announced ones but there's 750 million dollars that that still has to be distributed and i'm sure they're just making the connections vetting the projects things like that the vr one is called high fidelity but think about this so with the current high ram prices um if you're a project and you get funded by eos vc What's the first thing you're, you're going to need to run your dApps? You're going to need RAM and yeah. you're going to need CPU. Mm -hmm. So you need to have EOS tokens. Yeah, exactly. So th there's potentially 750 million, soon to be $1 billion on the sidelines here. And even, I mean, they could work on a test net, so they don't need tokens to be building. But with the market speculation, like we don't know if it's going to go away in the short term. So you have to, if you're building a DAP, you kind of got to hedge a little bit and bite the bullet and invest in some RAM and CPU right now. Right. So that $1 billion will get, some of it will be pumped back into the ecosystem. Well, and I think that's that's an interesting long-term benefit of this current bear market. And it's interesting to note, I mean, if you're not just looking at the EOS price, look across the board, everything is getting hit hard right mm -hmm. now. Um, but with EOS specifically, in bear markets, when there's not so much chatter, there's not so much press talk, more people are developing anyway, because mm -hmm. it's a quieter time. You're not getting bugged by journalists to comment on a 2,000% rise in a week. <laughs> you're just sort of heads down building. But with this lower token price right now, I think it's even more accessible to developers who want to get in early and say, hey, I'm going to buy 1,000 tokens or 100 tokens or 10 tokens and start working on my dApp so that then in the future I can actually you know, process those transactions for my dApp on the network. Since day one, I remember last June, every, every ETH diehard was talking so much shit on block one for like selling their ETH on a regular basis. So when the ICO launched, I believe ETH was probably around like 200 bucks. Right. So with, with the bull market we saw at the end of the year, that might've looked stupid of them. They sold all this ETH between two, three, even less than $200 at different points. But then it, went all the way up to a thousand, right. but they were selling the whole way. So oh, they yeah. sold on, on a like daily, weekly, monthly basis, the thousand dollar ETH also. And everyone complained about it. But now in this market, it looks genius. Oh, absolutely. Because they, 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 they offered to fund a billion dollars of dApps and that, that wasn't in tokens. That was in dollars. Yeah. So in a bear market, it's actually going to benefit the, the building of this DAP community because they're actually able to invest in their infrastructure at, at a rock bottom price before oh, yeah. the next market. N nobody doubts there's going to be another bull market. It could be in a year. It could be in a month. It could be in a day or a week. Mm -hmm. We know what's going to happen, 
but we don't know when. It, it could be multiple years, but we're, we're going to be ready for it. And it's going to give a, a huge opportunity to, to these funded dApps be, because they got a cash influx at a perfect time to buy. Oh, definitely. It's a, it's a buying opportunity. The only people it's not a buying opportunity for are people who are completely already invested and right. don't have extra money to buy more. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so for people on the sidelines, it's a great, great opportunity. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think uh, the, the point you mentioned about Block One selling their ETH sort of as they got it and people criticizing them and now looking genius, I think that's a problem that a lot of ICOs have made, or it's a mistake that a lot of ICOs have made in not I selling. I can vouch for that. Oh, yeah. Well, and our, our tech advisor at Cypherglass is a guy named Jesse Proudman who runs a, a hedge fund called Strix Leviathan. And uh, they've been you know talking about sort of this problem, this ICO problem of people who, they don't have a, a treasury management solution in any way. They don't have somebody who can come in and say, hey, sell 30% into USD, move 20% into Bitcoin, keep this percent in ETH. And because of that, a lot of these ICOs that may have raised 30, 40, 50 million dollars now have maybe 10, 20, yep. if that <laughs> million dollars and are kind of going, oh shit, what should we do? Should we sell some of this now? Do we cut our losses? And those people still have to pay taxes, by the way, on that original amount they raised. So mm -hmm. if that ICO raised 50 million and now it's 25, they still have to pay tax on the 50, which is pretty crazy and could really fuck over some of these ICOs in the long run. So it's good to see that Block One has kind of hedged themselves out of ETH. And now I think even they're out completely, which has been interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so what's the latest ongoings? You, you had something to talk about with the voting going on currently, which the voting's doing well. Oh, it's going very uh, well. A very high voter engagement rate. Uh, would you say it was like 30%? Yeah, over 30%, 30.7% which means 307 million tokens out of the billion have been voted. And that does not include Block One's 100 million. So these are 300 million tokens that people out their own, maybe they're whales, maybe they're small people. Um, but that amount being voted after the 15% unlocked is something that honestly surprised me and is really good to see. There, there's some interesting um, graphs you can find. There, there's a couple of them. I'm looking at one. I just saw it linked today in a Telegram channel, EOS Titan. I think they're a block producer. I don't think they're top... They're not definitely not top 21, uh, but there's other tools like it where you can see like a bar graph where it has, it's like multiple colors and it kind of shows you all the whale votes and where yeah. they're going. And pretty much um, 20 out of the top 21 uh, current BPs have giant, on, on the graph I'm looking at, blue lines from the, the Bitfinex voting pool, which it's not just one voter, it, it's it's all of the people on their exchange, they have a uh, kind of complicated way of voting, but at least they're allowing their users to vote. And the the top 21 BPs got shuffled up a good bit recently. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cypherglass fell out of the top 21. Yeah. And you, you have some ideas uh, behind why. You want to so get into that a little bit? The only vote that we lost was, so right now, if you think about it, we have a little over 37 million votes. At the time when we were, I think, number six or seven out of the 21, we had 57 million. So an extra 20 million than what we have now. And that 20 million came exclusively from Bitfinex. But what's interesting is that in the last shuffling last week, that 20 million went away completely so that we now have zero votes from Bitfinex. Out of all of the votes that have been cast, you can look through the big voter JSON file, there's not a single vote cast for Cypherglass and Bitfinex. So we've been trying to figure out, as I think actually happened to another um, BP, I think it was EOS Cafe Block or somebody like that, where Bitfinex didn't properly record votes for their BP and had set them back millions of votes and then they fixed it and got them back. We're not sure if something's going on where we jumped from 20 to zero because a big whale unvoted us, or if there's a technical issue where we're not showing up in that system. But we've reached out to Bifinex. We're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, we reached out to Paolo on Telegram and are kind of waiting to, to hear back mm -hmm. on that. But that's the situation at the moment. It really blows my mind um, who some of these BPs are in the top 21, ones that don't 
really contribute to the community much. Yeah. I, I, at least not on. In, in, a lot of them are Chinese, so maybe in the Asian Telegram channels they're doing a bunch. I don't know, but. There, there's just so many good ones like gray mass like i think cypher glass is great because I, I follow you guys i know what you guys are doing and adding to the community you, you put out videos by like multiple every week oh yeah that kind of inform the community on what's going on you do the podcast with me um but one of the big ones gray mass man yeah How's gray mass not in the uh, top 20 they one? totally deserve to be there i mean if you think about the reason why we hit 15 percent, it's because of gray mass and their wallet that they put out and now even with their wallet i just put out a voting tutorial or a, a video tutorial on how to make a voter proxy to sort of you know vote on behalf of others that, that don't want to be involved in the voting process and that again is using gray mass and an updated version where they added a ton of new features the ability to buy and sell ram the ability to make a voter proxy the, the ability to delegate your vote to somebody else's proxy so They've continued to be heads down building this tool that I think has been instrumental, um, if not sort of the main reason that that we hit that 15% unlock and now have 30% of tokens voted. Yeah, I mean it's a long-term game. Like, oh, definitely. You're at you're at the top 21. That's fine. Give give other BPs an opportunity. I think when you initially fell out of the top 21, we were talking, and you said some votes just got shuffled around, and we kind of spun it in a positive where if during the like first couple weeks of the the blockchain you were number 30 you you had these big intentions of being a bp but you need funding oh exactly and to fund your infrastructure and we need good standby nodes and they don't get paid nearly as much as the top 21 so shuffling them around is actually a good thing because uh, Cypherglass, when you're in the top 21, roughly how many EOS were, were the BPs getting? A couple hundred a day. Roughly about 900. Yeah. So now someone else is getting that. Exactly. Who and wasn't we're still, getting it originally. And the beauty of the system is that we're still getting paid. We're getting, I think, three to 400 EOS a day now as a standby based on the, the 37 million votes that we do have. We're just not getting paid that, that active. So I'm happy to see this, honestly, that there are other people that are getting a shot. It was just interesting to see us and Gray Mass and EOS Amsterdam and sort of like a, a group of six that were all pushed up into the 21 at the same time, mm -hmm. then all got pushed out. So it almost feels like somebody at Bitfinex, whether it's Bitfinex themselves or whales there that are sort of getting together, are doing this intentionally to spread that BP money around, which ultimately, for the long-term health of the network, is a very, very good thing. Yeah, we, we need at least 50 good block producers at all times. Absolutely. Because anything could happen for one to fall off, or if you have a bad actor and you really got to get them out, like you want to have good backup nodes. And there's also um, different features and functionalities of the backup nodes. I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I recall a couple months ago, whenever I was reading about the IPFS, which is the decentralized file storage, right. that a lot of that might be handled by the backup nodes. Yeah. Like there might be specific rules for these backup nodes where, okay, you're not producing blocks, but we have all this other work you got to be doing. Oh, absolutely. And when, when multi-threading comes out and it's a much bigger task for the active block producers to actually produce blocks and, and keep all these different threads online, um, there are going to be things that need to be delegated out to the standbys like IPFS and storing those file hashes and, and making sure all that still works. So I think it'll be kind of interesting to see how the system matures. And also, I think as more people vote, even though now it's sort of gradually increasing each day, I do think that voting is going to become more decentralized where there are going to be less whales controlling this and, and more people sort of um, you know, having the community control who's elected. I think uh, my, my solution, well, part of the solution is to have... I think I mentioned this on the last show, like 
the the more tokens you have at a certain point, the the power lessens for each token. So if I have a million tokens, my first five hundred thousand might be full votes, but then my next five hundred thousand might gradually become less and less powerful, and that would be on a per account basis. So the only way this would work is if, um, and Dan's mentioned it, some sort of biometric account creation where one person could only have one account because you'd probably, I don't know if this will do it, but like a retina scan or something right. crazy. Well, I mean, a, a good example is like your fingerprint with touch ID or yeah. your face with face ID right now on your iPhone yeah. or your Mac. So so if, if that's created where you could have an, an online identity that was totally separate from, a, you don't even need a state ID to create your identity because everyone has a fingerprint. Yeah. Uh, if that were created, then it, it would still be possible. I could... I could have a friend do it. I could have multiple accounts, but it would make it more difficult. Oh, and, and it would prove that you're a bad actor because you're going out of your way to create multiple accounts to keep your vote power up. Well, if, and, if, and this is just my idea with that vote power stuff, so it's yeah. probably not even going to happen. I mean, I think a lot of that, that Dan has also mentioned before that he's, he's working on some new consensus mechanism, which will integrate some kind of ID system like that. Mm -hmm. So whether it's their new hardware wallet that comes out that'll use your fingerprint in your face or their social network that they'll eventually launch, I think maybe one of those things will be integrated into this somehow. Um, but ultimately, it will be up to the community to vote in a change like that. So, so I kind of thought about this biometric thing with the face or fingerprint ID. Yeah. And... What if you get into a car accident? You lose your hand. Oh no! <laughs> your face is all disfigured. <laughs> that's terrible. So that, that's why it's good that uh, we we have uh, or we will have account recovery features. Definitely, <laughs> because if you do something like that, like let's say you just used your, I use my I use my face to unlock my iPhone. Yeah. If my face got mangled up enough, I couldn't unlock. Uh, there's obviously on an iPhone a backup. Right. You type in your password. Right. But if we had an ID system on the blockchain that was so powerful you couldn't have like a backup password you'd have to rely on your account recovery oh definitely i mean that's your a partners that's a good point hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody out there but i'm sure we'll have to at least <laughs> one person in their lifetime but uh something interesting about account recovery now eos 42 who's the, the number four block producer right now is doing a really good job of educating people about the difference between their owner and their account keys so or owner and active key excuse me so right now on your eos account if you're in the genesis block your owner and active keys are actually the same private keys controlling both um, but the, the interesting thing about this is that if you generate an EOS owner key offline and keep it offline forever, this is kind of your recovery method at the moment. Because then as you're using your active key to vote and send tokens, if somebody steals that and starts moving funds out of your account, you can actually use your owner key to reset the permissions and change the owner to a new key and basically remove the permissions of that other active key. Interesting. So it's one of the unique features now. If you, you check out EOS42's website at eos42.io, they have some good tutorials there on how to do it. It's a little bit too tech-savvy at the moment, um, but I do believe Graymass is working on a way to make this very simple through their their user interface wallet. There's the name again, Graymass. Graymass. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not nearly as integrated in the BP community. I'll, I'll read for the podcast and, and whatever, but that's the name I keep seeing. Like they have the best wallet currently. Oh, they definitely uh, do. The, the most feature rich. Well, and Dan has even endorsed the Graymass wallet. He did that early on, I think, before the fifteen percent unlock, and mm -hmm. that really helped us go through the finish line. So there as well. are other voting ongoings is the proxies. Um, so one of the, one of the issues with with voting right now is the general public. It, it to to make an informed decision, you have to do a lot of due diligence and research. There's probably at least a hundred BP candidates, but only only there's only the top twenty one, and then to get a decent payout, you probably need to be in what the top thirty, thirty five. Uh, I believe it's top fifty ish right now. Get right now. get a payout. 
but it, it's a lot of research and, and you're getting nothing in return. So you hear about these RAM speculators, 10Xing, 20Xing yeah. their, their EOS stacks. But then little, little old Johnny own EOS, he's just staking his votes to to EOS Canada, Cypherglass, EOS New York, staking his votes, locking them in. Uh, he's got to keep up on his research, make sure there's no new candidates that he wants to vote in. Yeah. He's getting nothing for that. Oh, yeah. So, and- so um, there's voter proxies coming out uh, daily right now. And that's why I mentioned that EOS Titan tool, because they're the only ones I've seen that has a, a stat for a percentage of proxy votes. And at, as it stands, 1.7% of all of the votes on on ESIO are being voted by a proxy. Now, what a proxy is, is you're putting your, the trust of your voting power to someone else. Yep. So if I don't have time to research the block producers myself, but I'm not going to say Rob's running a proxy because he's a BP. Right. BP should not. That was kind of an, a discussion that happened a few weeks ago of whether yeah, BPs a, should be allowed to be proxy. It's a huge conflict of interest because, of course, that BP is going to vote for themselves. You said you're against that. Yeah, I'm against, totally it. against it. Um, but you, you could... Let, let's say my brother was way more in the blockchain than me. This is the opposite. Um, he'd maybe be his proxy. <laughs> but um, if you trust someone with your votes, you're saying, okay, I'm staking my 100 EOS tokens to this proxy, and I trust them to vote for whoever they think the best 2130 20, 20, block producer candidates are. Right. So you're putting that trust in someone else, and, and that I think that's going to increase as we go, and that should increase voter participation. Yeah, and if you're interested in making your own proxy, if you want to make one about, I put out some you put ideas. Put out a video I, recently, right? Yeah, put out a video on the Cypherglass YouTube channel, just YouTube.com/slash/Cypherglass, or just search the name. Um, but there's a voter proxy tutorial on how to set it up in the Gray Mass wallet again. Um, but it, it's super easy. It takes about 30 seconds to actually set it up, and then you can get your friends or other people in chat rooms to delegate their votes to you. And I, I've seen one really good proxy so far um, from a guy named Ash Oro. His Twitter handle is at a S-H-E underscore O-R-O. Um, he has a, a proxy that delegates to about 30 different block producers at the moment, um, one of which is Cypherglass, full disclosure. But honestly, I think he's picking block producers that are actually adding real value to the ecosystem mm-hmm. versus just voting for the top 21. You mean like that guy that was taking a nap and didn't, <laughs> didn't integrate a, a yeah. <laughs> some update and yeah, then what, the was one exposed guy. with his Telegram chat? Yeah, that was bad. Uh, what was some other... There was another controversy. What was the thing with the one gigabyte yeah. of RAM consumption limitation? So what's interesting with all this RAM speculation, even though people are buying it, they're not actually utilizing it, meaning they're not storing data in that RAM. Um, but what happened is that through legitimate airdrops and, and dApps and other usage, um, we actually hit one gigabyte of RAM consumption. And what happened was a significant amount of block producers, some in the active, a lot in standby, um, actually went down because they didn't have their nodes configured properly. Fortunately, uh, our tech guys, James and Ross, had our nodes configured properly, and we stayed up the whole time, even though we were in the standby position. Um, but a lot of people went down. EOS New York called out a lot of them publicly on Twitter I saying, like, what the fuck, guys? You, you need to have your nodes configured if you're an active BP. Um, fortunately, they fixed the issue. They got it back online. But it's something that really should not be happening, especially if you are in that active position. You got to keep this stuff online. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see a lot of continuous mistakes made. And I just hope that the, the voters kind of get rid of these. Yeah. These bad. I'm not saying they're bad actors because I don't think they're bad intentions. Right. But they're being sloppy and lazy. Oh, absolutely. Is how I would describe them. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. You're you're getting paid daily in EOS. The community is putting their faith in you to produce blocks and not break the damn chain. Yeah, there's already enough That's bad your news one job. every day. Yeah, like you, your one job is to not break the chain. Yeah, it's make to keep EOS IO as healthy as possible, and it doesn't make it any healthier whenever you you do something stupid to make Cointelegraph blow up with with more bad oh, news. Exactly, 100. Um, percent I mean, I think. Going away from this and, and RAM, I think if we talk about uh, something good. An airdrop update. Everipedia, finally, we're getting them. Yeah, and we've gotten a lot already so far. I, I keep seeing oh, more yeah. in my account. Yeah, let me pull up, uh, see how many I have so far. But the good news is that Everipedia, the IQ token drop, that was the first company that was ever funded through an ESVC partner, Mike Novogratz's Galaxy Digital. Um, they said that their airdrop is, quote, imminent, which means uh, they should be dropping any day now. Um, they have not released an official date. I think they're probably just going to start dropping and go from there. And th- uh, they're, they're using the Genesis snapshot, so don't worry about trying to like ho- hoard more EOS right now. You're not going to get any more than, than you would have had on based on the Genesis from exactly. June, June 2nd. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like I have about 10 different airdrop tokens that I've gotten from the Genesis snapshot. And there are a ton more um, that are actually be su- being supported by an exchange called Chains. It's not decentralized, unfortunately, um, but it's chaince.com. They also did an airdrop on EOS with their CET token that's trading there for, I think, about five cents. Um, but they've indicated their intention to support a lot of other airdrops like Karma, like IQ, um, like a lot of these. So it should be interesting to see what Bit happens Finex, there. Um supported some Genesis snapshot tokens. Three, I, I don't know them off the top. I don't have them in front ADD, of me. ADD, Atidium, which was ATD, uh, and one other that I can't remember. Yeah, I, I saw those show up in my account because I had some on there from the snapshot. So that was pretty cool. You can't, you could just withdraw them. You mentioned that exchange. Is that a market for buying and selling these tokens? Because a lot of people have these new airdrop tokens now. Some people want to hold them and see what happens, give this DAP a chance. And some just want to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, but is there a market that you know of with any liquidity? Not yet. Other than the CET token on their own chains exchange, which has a pretty significant amount of liquidity. Um, I think it was several million dollars a day in volume, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you can sell that there. But otherwise, there's really no place to sell these yet. And I like your theory that you were talking about before the podcast, if you yeah. want to mention that. So uh, the other night, I think it was maybe two or three nights ago, uh, in the EOS main channel, Dan kind of dropped a few uh, Easter eggs for us. Um, someone asked him a, a question about fees and like RAM fees because we talked earlier about how there's a 1% fee on every RAM swap yep. and what, what that 1% goes to. Right now, it's just being set aside. It's not being burned and destroyed, but it is being set aside and is not being used. So it's out of circulation regardless. But Dan responded to that and he says, if our proposal is adopted, fees will go to staked holders. So a few minutes ago, we were talking about how there's not a lot of incentive to maintain your, your staked votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more incentive for you to trade RAM or hold RAM and speculate on it because you, you might actually make a profit on that um, and, and how you should be rewarded for staking the token. So Dan saying that means that pe- people are thinking about this and it, it makes sense to me because it incentivizes you to... I think the most important thing on the EOS blockchain is your, your voting power oh, yeah. for, for block producers. And if, imagine if this 1% of trading fees, and I mentioned yesterday, $780 million of RAM was traded. So I'm terrible at math. How many EOS tokens would that be? <laughs> it depends on A the lot. price, I, I guess. Divide that by $7. Yeah. And that's how many EOS tokens... Oh, of one percent of that were burned or not burned but set aside right now imagine if those tokens were distributed evenly by 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 stake weight of voters and and that could happen and uh dan even added to that and 
uh, mentioned something about a decentralized exchange if it were created. Um, if those fees, if there were fees on a decentralized exchange, could those fees go to staked voters also? Yeah, I think it's something that that could definitely be proposed. And then I think we would see that 30% of staked tokens go much, much higher than it is now. I, so I, I think that's a great idea. So if yeah. the EOS blockchain like community is able to generate um, profits in some way, which is right now the, the name market for the account names under 12 characters, one's yep. being auctioned every single day. Yep. Um, there's the RAM trading fees, which are currently going. And then we're going to see some DEXs pop up here soon. Real oh, soon. definitely. That's what I was trying to get to with those tokens is there, we know EOS Finex is coming. Yeah. And we could assume Block 1 is probably working on BitShares 2.0, but we, we don't know officially. But when that all happens, all of these trading fees are going to just be put into a fund. And we already have a worker proposal fund to fund other stuff. So what's all these fees going to go towards? And, and they could very well be distributed to, to staked voters. Yeah, and I think, I, I think that'd be great. You would essentially earn interest via in EOS for staking your tokens, and to remove speculation, you could have a locking period. You don't start earning interest until your tokens have been staked for this many days. Already. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I mean, you had even mentioned we were texting earlier this week that this is just one additional component that could help EOS become that store of value in a similar way that Bitcoin is a store of value. If you can earn interest on it by staking right it now, like money market rates, bank account, like in your savings account, you're getting less than a percent interest yeah. anymore, or less than hold, tenth of a percent. In yeah, some cases. to hold your money. So if you could get. Anything better than that from holding EOS, like it, it could become a store of value. Oh, You're absolutely. gaining interest on it. And, well, and you know, if, if you believe the price will go up, not only are you earning more EOS, but the price of EOS is going up. Exactly. So you're, you're double hedging. Yeah, it's interesting. There's there's a lot going on in the, the ecosystem right now, even though sort of the price is is being destroyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could average in lightly. right now for, for good. Yeah. I mean, for but decent value, 100 bucks a paycheck. I've been getting a lot of people asking me in Telegram, how do you stay so positive when you know the market's going down 10% of the day? How do you do any of this stuff? You, you, I you've think, seen this happen how oh. many times? You've been in this longer than a, a lot of people I know, yeah. person, more than anyone I know personally. I mean, I've seen it happen a, a lot. And the worst bear market was in 2013 to, to 2014. And the main thing that I say to people then is, just do research, start to learn. There are a lot of people mm -hmm. out there who are only trading based on what they read, based on what they read in articles. You can take this time now when you don't have to focus on the price every day to actually learn how this tech works, learn what a Merkle tree is, learn how delegated proof of stake is different from proof of work, learn how Bitcoin works, learn how a, a token that you hate works, and maybe you'll end up actually liking it. Um, but go out there and learn, and it'll be a lot easier for you to sort of remain calm during times when the market is down, when you know that the core fundamental technology of the coin that you own, whether it's EOS or something else, is solid. You don't have to to worry about, oh, did, did it drop 10% because something's broken? You know, hey, this tech actually works. I understand how it works. Yeah, I mean, it, the market won't stay down forever. Coinbase Custody just officially launched. I, I don't remember if it was a week or two weeks ago, but the minimum requirements, a million dollars of funds. They already have, I think, 50 customers, um, and that's going to grow. We talked about in previous episodes, all it takes is for pension funds and retirement funds, 401ks to start hedging a quarter of a percent, maybe even less of their total funds into a, a cryptocurrency index. 
that's all it's going to take for this thing to to go to all new all time highs. And that might not happen this year. It might not happen next year, but it, it's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think the biggest difference between the bear market of say 2013 and 14 and now is that then we didn't know if crypto was going to remain. We didn't know if the thing and was going to die. The infrastructure wasn't in place. Oh, and none of it was there. None of the institutional support was there. None of the DApp developers were there. But now we know crypto is not going anywhere. This is here to stay. It's here to disrupt more industries than we can even comprehend at this moment. And I think that is the best part um, about all this is that we know crypto is here to stay. It's just a matter of time. I hundred percent. I think that's a good spot to wrap up actually. Um, we'll be back next week. We're, we're going on a, a trip this weekend with the company. Uh, Rob's joining us, even though he, he has, I think we mentioned in a previous episode, he's not here at ICO Alert on a day-to-day role. Uh, he's focused on Cypherglass, but he is coming on the trip with us. It'll be nice to see him again since we're not in the office every day together anymore. Uh, we look forward to, to talking to you guys again next week. Please comment, tweet us, uh, reach out on Telegram. Uh, what, what you want us to talk about, that's why we focus so much on RAM this week. We had a lot of requests for that. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about whatever you guys want to hear. You can have a block producer perspective, which I enjoy talking to Rob about this stuff. And tune in next week, guys. Uh, Once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS.